This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, folks, and welcome to AOA. Thanks for tuning in today. Looking out at the markets today, things are moving. Corn, beans, wheat all higher. The cattle market seeing a little strength. And crude oil is up today as well. Crude touched a seven-year high yesterday, and it's adding more to it today. We're going to talk about all of that on today's show. In segment two, Dr. Ellen Wald, crude oil researcher, will be joining the show. And then in segment three, we're going to talk to Arlen Suderman about what all is going on here in the agricultural commodities. At the end of the show, Ashley Arrington from AgriAuthority is going to give us an update on what banks are looking at here as this renewal season gets underway for operating loans. But first, Todd Neely of DTN has been tracking a new lawsuit filed against John Deere from a farmer up in North Dakota. Todd, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, good to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. So a North Dakota farm has filed a class action lawsuit against John Deere. Todd, what are they suing them over? Well, Mike, as you know, um, in agriculture, we've seen a lot of a lot made about uh, farmers having the right to repair their equipment. Um, the lawsuit that was filed in the district of Northern Illinois uh, essentially goes after John Deere, trying to recover damages, um, basically lost, you know, lost in, uh, you know, having to, Farmers are basically having to rely entirely on John Deere uh, to have their equipment repaired, and some of those repairs are very costly. Um, this lawsuit is actually a class action, and so it, it's uh, it's looking for any farmers who have had uh, repairs uh, made by John Deere starting in January of 2018 up until now. Um, I don't know the extent to which people are getting on board. I mean, we've received messages from a farmer or two, you know, asking about it. Um, but I do know this is an issue that's been ongoing for a number of years. I think, um, you know, we've seen states try to address it. There have been a number of bills offered in legislatures across the country. Um, and so I think uh, what we're probably going to see here is it's going to take some time. These class action lawsuits are usually very drawn out. Um, and so right now we're going to watch and uh, see where it goes from here. So, Todd, the specifics on this case, you know, anytime we get into a situation with lawyers, by golly, specifics sure, sure matter. They're they're alleging that really John Deere has monopolized re repair right. on their ECUs, the electronic computers that sort of run all the gadgets and gizmos. Have we heard any response to this from John Deere or have they addressed this issue in the past, Todd? Uh, you know, Mike, it's interesting because, uh, you know, there has been uh, there has been at least half half attempts uh, on Deere's part to to provide at least some software, at least some uh, some way of you know helping farmers and independent repair shops uh, do some of these things. But um, you know the ag industry, including uh, the farmer in this particular class action, uh, has basically alleged that the John Deere hasn't actually fully provided uh, the software needed. And so. Um, you know, it's kind of interesting because John Deere was supposedly on the way uh, to providing that software and even, um, you know, making repair tools available, all sorts of things, uh, beginning January 1st of last year. Uh, 
Uh, and so here we are. We're over a year later, and we have a class action lawsuit claiming that that hasn't been done. And so um, not really sure where Deer stands at the moment. Uh, they're not going to comment on a pending lawsuit. But certainly I think, uh, you know, it has raised the bar just a bit here. Uh, I think it's bringing some attention to to an issue that's kind of been uh, a really tough one for a lot of farmers. Yeah, it's a tough one. And it's a frustrating one, you know, as the the amount of technology yeah. for farmers continues to grow the ability for for individual operators to repair this equipment, you know, if they have the tools, seems like it's increasing. Todd, one of the things that this lawsuit mentions repeatedly, and I'm just not entirely sure how it fits in, maybe you can shed a little light. They talk a lot mm -hmm. about the consolidation of John Deere dealerships. Is this lawsuit looking at dealers as well as John Deere corporate? Uh, you know, Mike, I think that's, I think that's true. You know, um, the, the lawsuit makes allegations that John Deere has intentionally consolidated, uh, you know, the, the industry in terms of the repair industry. Uh, and it did name a number of equipment companies uh, in this lawsuit. And so right now they are considered parties to the lawsuit. And so, um, I'm not sure either exactly where that's particularly going, although I think consolidation in agriculture, as you know, um, has really become a big deal. Um, you know, we're seeing a number of a number of efforts made, even in Congress, uh, to look at um, anti-competitive practices and those sorts of things. Um, so I don't know whether this was just mentioned as part of uh, a broader a broader scope in terms of where uh, where agriculture sits on a lot of these issues, but I think certainly. In this particular case, these particular companies uh, are named in the suit, so they're part of the deal. Interesting. Yeah, you know, that consolidation issue is hot in ag right now. And Todd, you know, when we get lawsuits filed, of course, you know, one of the great things about this country is anybody can file a lawsuit for any reason. If you can find a lawyer to, to draw it up for you, you've watched this space a long time. A lawsuit like this, especially coming as a class action, Todd, do the courts tend to take it seriously? Do you think we'll actually get some, some motions and some hearings on this suit? Or is this something that could be tossed out pretty quickly? Uh, you know, Mike, I think, like I said, I think class action lawsuits, they're very drawn out by nature. Uh, there's a lot that goes into putting these together. I mean, we've seen some class action suits that take seven to 10 years to resolve. And so um, it, it just depends on the individual case. Uh, you know, it's really up to the court at this point on this case, whether this one uh, foots the bill and, and really, uh, you know, lives up to a lot of what they look at. But I think that it's one of the, it's one of the few times we've seen uh, someone uh, file a class action lawsuit or any lawsuit at all in regards to the right to repair. And so I think in that particular situation, I, I think perhaps the court will look at that with some deference and think that, uh, you know, perhaps this is, is worthy of, of consideration. It's just really, it's really hard to say. There's a lot that can happen in court. You know, a lot of things can change. Yeah, it gets into kind of a little bit of the Wild West once it goes to court and all the, yeah. all the decisions or whatever the judge decides. I did want to ask, you Absolutely. mentioned that John Deere had pledged, along with a number of other manufacturers, to publish this sort of these tools, make them available at the what, January yeah. 1st of last year. Todd, obviously, this suits against John Deere. From the other manufacturers that are part of the Equipment Dealers Association, have they been fairly active in releasing these tools to the public or at least to uh, repair shops? Uh, that's a good question, Mike. Uh, you know, I'd have to, I have to admit, I'm, I'm not really entirely sure. I know John Deere has been a great focus because, uh, as you know, John Deere is a, a gigantic company. It's uh, well, uh, it's well, it's well known, and I think a lot of producers benefit from from their equipment. And so, uh, I get the sense that perhaps John Deere is kind of the 
kind of the target on this, maybe as an example, so to speak. But, um, you know, I think it is a broader issue that I think a lot of equipment companies perhaps, um, I, I would I would say that they probably are taking this seriously and whether uh, they've uh, gone to the length that John Deere has in terms of the setup that they have, uh, I'm not quite sure on that. But I do know that, um, you know, we're going to learn, learn a lot in court in this particular case. And perhaps some of these other companies uh, will be a part of this, whether as a Micus briefs or those sorts of things that can come up. Lots of things to keep an eye on as this case moves forward. Todd Neely, thanks for stopping by to give us an update. Yeah, glad to be here. Thank you. And folks, stick around when we return. Dr. Ellen Wald will give us her thoughts on what could happen here with the crude oil industry in 2021. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Oh, nice engine. Supercharged? Yep. High porosity and aggregates? Yep. Porous medium for gas exchange? Uh Uh-huh. Microbial catalytic potential and repository for carbon and nitrogen? Check, check, and check. Oh, man, that is good under the hood. And to think I used to be impressed with hammies. So, when was the last time you looked under the hood at your farm's production engine? At your soil? Is it as healthy and productive as it can be? Stop by your local USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out and unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by NRCS and this radio station. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $18 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system. See program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of bear plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. 180 over 111, and I had a stroke. When I woke up, I couldn't speak or walk. 145 over 92, and then I had a heart attack. 182 over 100, and I had a heart attack and a cardiac arrest, and then a stroke. Everything changed. It felt like my life was over. This is what high blood pressure sounds like. You might not feel its symptoms, but the results from a heart attack or stroke are far from invisible or silent. 150 over 90, and I had a stroke. If I would have followed a treatment plan, I would not be in this situation. 180 over 110, and I had a stroke. And I'm 33, so I never see this coming. If you've come off your treatment plan, get back on it. Or talk with your doctor to create an exercise, diet, and medication plan that works for you. Go to loweryourhbp.org. I had to tell 
Everything's changed. It is dumb. Brought to you by the American Heart Association, American Medical Association, and the Ad Council. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Hello, folks. Welcome back to AOA. You know, at the top of the show, I mentioned that we are seeing a bit of a rally almost across the board today in the commodities markets, and the energies are seeing a rally as well. Crude oil prices continue to climb. It's driving a lot of discussion in the financial space. Well, it certainly matters on the farm. What happens with crude oil and natural gas impacts a lot of our pricing. To bring us up to speed on what all is happening in this industry, Dr. Ellen Wald will be talking to me next. She's the author of Saudi Inc literally the book on Saudi Aramco, the massive Saudi oil company. She's a fellow at the Atlantic Council and the president of Transversal Consulting. Dr. Wald, thanks for talking to us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to be back. <laughs> me too. Dr. Wald, recently you were part of a panel for Platts Global looking at the potential for crude oil to go over $100 this year. What do you think? Is $100 in the cards for crude oil? You know, it's it's interesting because I don't think that the uh, fundamentals will push up crude to $100 on their own, but there are definitely um, potentials for it to spike to $100 if we see a uh, confluence of events. So, for example, right now we're seeing that some geopolitical issues are having effect on the market and are definitely pushing up prices. The situation, first of all, in the Ukraine between Russia and Ukraine and now America is getting involved. There's a threat in terms of sanctions. And so that uh, people are concerned that that could have an effect on Russia's energy production transport sales. So that's helping to lift crude oil prices. And then you have this uh, attack, this drone attack in the UAE, uh, which didn't really cause any any issues, but definitely reminds uh, commodity traders that there is a heightened uh, issue in the Gulf in terms of the potential for uh, missile or drone attacks on oil uh, on oil supplies. So all of this uh, definitely raises the level of geopolitical threat, and that in turn pushes up oil prices. Uh, you know, so if we're seeing an, a, a time when we have that, and then if you add on to that, say, a surge in demand because uh, everyone is traveling for a holiday, then, yeah, I think absolutely we could uh, potentially see prices spike to $100. Uh, however, the good news is that, um, you know, this kind of spike wouldn't last, assuming the geopolitical uh, situation becomes resolved. Well, let's take that geopolitical risk out. And obviously, I know we can never actually do that when we're talking crude oil. But for the purposes of our discussion, let's look at some of those fundamental factors you were describing, Dr. Wald. We've got this Omicron variant spreading around the world. We've got people canceling flights. Was talking to a hotel front desk guy. He said they've had a lot of rooms cancel here in the Midwest because of Omicron. It is crude demand coming down as this virus again surges through countries around the world? So it's really interesting. Uh, we just looked at some of the numbers from December, and we found that, yes, jet fuel demand has been affected by uh, concern over the Omicron variant. I think it wasn't just the Omicron variant, but it was also the uncertainty 
uh, surrounding different countries' reactions to it, whether people don't want to get on an airplane and travel somewhere if there's a potential to get stuck there and if the rules might change. So jet fuel demand is lower, but gasoline demand actually increased in December. So uh, we're seeing more people taking to the roads, especially in the United States, and so that definitely kept uh, crude oil demand strong. Now, it may be a different story for January because we've seen a rash of inclement weather, and so that uh, depresses gasoline demand. And also, we've seen a lot of school closures, people not going into work, uh, working from home, and so that has definitely had a dampening effect on gasoline demand. In terms of the forecast, though, globally, uh, we are seeing organizations like OPEC and the IEA, they are uh, increasing, actually, their oil demand forecast for 2022, uh, not so much in the first quarter, but definitely in the second, uh, third, and fourth quarters. All right. And you mentioned OPEC there. As we take a look at the supply side of the ledger, OPEC has really been dominating the conversation. Dr. Wald will come back to that. I want to ask at 85, 84 plus 75 bucks a barrel five, six years ago, that would have meant tremendous exploration in the Bakken and in the Permian Basin, some of the, the shale formations here in this country. Have we seen that sort of enthusiasm pop up in the crude market yet? Are we seeing domestic uh, supply come online with these higher prices? Yeah, this is, this is a huge issue because uh, there definitely was an expectation that as prices got higher that the U.S. Uh, fracking machine would um, kind of turn itself in, into high gear and that there would be a lot more drilling. And we're not seeing that level of growth or drilling, and that's due to uh, a variety of reasons. The, the first one is that um, – Definitely inflation is playing a role. Uh, everything is now more expensive. So um, getting parts, labor, everything is more expensive for these drilling companies. Then you have uh, a lot of the, – there's been a lot of consolidation over the past year or two. And so you have these larger companies that have consolidated, and they are paying down debt. They're returning value to their shareholders, and they're not so keen on just all-out growth at the moment. They're definitely growing a little bit, particularly to keep up uh, with replacement, but we're not seeing the kind of growth that we used to see. On the other hand, we are seeing some new companies popping up. We're seeing uh, people that are being funded, not necessarily by big banks, but by private equity. And so there's definitely a growth mindset uh, in the smaller crop, but that's not affecting the overall numbers as much as we really need to bring down oil prices. So we're seeing some fairly sluggish growth. I think we're at like 11.5, 11.6 million barrels a day. And, um, you know, it's possible to get to 12, but we're not seeing their growth like we need to really bring down prices. Is there a price target for oil that you think would encourage that domestic uh, production to come back online much more quickly? Is, a, is it $100 today? Well, I think uh, if we did get to $100, there would definitely uh, there's a potential for maybe some political pressure to um, definitely uh, promote uh, more production. But the problem is that a lot of these companies are very concerned about regulation. I think that if they see um, 
the, the politics in Washington uh, getting a little bit less stringent and more encouragement, then they might be willing to kind of uh, go out on the line and uh, and drill more. But uh, it's it's really a very difficult situation there. Uh, a lot of people are saying they can't get the personnel, they can't necessarily get the products, or there are backups in trucking, uh, in shipping. And so uh, there's a lot of supply chain issues. And also, I think there's also a, a mental block, which is that there's a concern that, you know, OPEC could just decide to open the taps, flood the market, and they'll uh, they'll be in the same situation that they were back in the spring of, of 2020. So um, these things have to be overcome before we can see the kind of real growth that we were seeing uh, from a few years ago. Well, you mentioned OPEC there. Let's talk. What are their projections for this coming year? Do you think they're going to continue to release more supply? And Ellen, is Iranian oil going to come back onto the global market in 2022? Yeah, that is a really good question. So OPEC is definitely seems to be on the path towards continuing their moderate increases in quotas. But what one of the things that we're seeing now is that just because OPEC says we're going to increase production by 400,000 barrels a day a month doesn't mean that those barrels actually come on the market. In fact, um, OPEC only put 310,000 barrels on the market in December when they could have added another 900,000. And some of that was due to the fact that Saudi Arabia didn't produce up to its quota and some other countries uh, like Nigeria were also uh, unable to produce up to their quota. But uh, Saudi Arabia certainly can produce up to its quota, and it's likely that they will uh, increase their production more, um, you know, in January and, and February because they're concerned that prices are too high for their Asian buyers. So they'd like to, to see prices not get too high in order to, to keep their Asian uh, customers happy. Uh, the question of Iran, though, is a really big one because um, there is some, I would say this is definitely something to keep an eye out for, is that um, if the, the Biden administration feels that uh, politically it's, it's not doing so well as we get close to the midterm elections, they may seek a diplomatic solution with Iran to uh, kind of uh, make sure that they have some sort of, of win that they can display to the people, and that could include relaxing sanctions. So it is entirely possible that we could see more Iranian barrels on the market. Uh, Iran claims it can increase production a million barrels a day, uh, but we'll see. We will see. Lots to watch in this space. Dr. Wall, thanks for taking the time to give us an update today. Thanks. And folks, stick around. Arlen Suderman from StoneX will be back, and we'll talk details on the ag commodities when AOA returns. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. DTN and Progressive Farmer bring producers the best content in agriculture. Each day our editors post unique content to our website, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day -day business decisions. DTN and Progressive Farmer provide insights throughout the year to questions like, what is the outlook for corn yields in 2021? Will feed prices surge? What about land prices? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? For more intelligence like this, visit DTNPF.com. 
Every Tuesday, we'll be sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS. Join us and learn how CHS creates the vital connections that empower agriculture, helping farmers and ranchers like you succeed. We'll hear from different voices from throughout the cooperative system, sharing stories about how good things happen when people work together. Join us around the table every Tuesday or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, both corn and soybean prices joined this week's wheat rally overnight, and that's continuing here into Wednesday's day session. Support was largely twofold. First, traders realized that while this week's rains are good in South America, a lot of risk remains for the rest of the growing season in Argentina, with the February models and analogs leaning dry. Now, we do have some stabilizing and improving crop conditions in Argentina, but Many analysts feel that damage to both Brazil and Argentina crops may have already occurred with potential loss of 10 to 15 million metric tons or more from combined quartered soy crops in both countries. Second, tensions between Russia and Ukraine have reached a new high with U.S. and European officials speaking as if a military conflict is imminent, which could shut down quarter wheat exports from the region, further tightening world supplies. Both of those combined giving us reason to move higher in our grain markets with soybeans, the leader here through the mid-morning. Right now, March soybeans up 21 and a half, 1382 and three quarters. July beans up 21 and a quarter, 1398 and a quarter. March bean meal up 630 a ton, 396.40. March soybean oil up 132 points at 60.40. March quart up 7 and a half, 607. July quart up 7 and a half at 604. March Chicago wheat up 9, 778. March Kansas City wheat up 10 and a quarter, 783. March spring wheat up 16 and a quarter, 923 and a quarter. Live cattle are leading the livestock complex higher. February up 135, 139.02. April live cattle up 160, 143.45. January feeder cattle up 10, 161.55. March up 112, 166.55. February lean hogs five higher, 81.65. April up 62, 89.90. Crude oil up $1.24 at $86.67. This is AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility. Independence changes your entire life. So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. 
Well, thanks for staying with us here on AOA, ladies and gentlemen. We just talked about the rally that is happening in the crude oil markets. Well, now it's time to take a look over at the grains to help us make sense of everything that's going on in the grain market. Arlen Suderman of Stonex joins me. And Arlen just pulled up the markets on my computer. Corn, beans, bean meal, bean oil, wheat, hard red wheat, winter wheat, spring wheat, oats, rough rice, canola. Everything is higher today. Is this just part of that great rotation? of managed money out of equities and into commodities? Well, part of it's a rotation, and, and part of it's still the inflation story, and, and that's part of the rotation as well. Uh, when you're looking at yields on treasuries continue to spiral higher higher, and uh, reflecting the expectations of inflation, uh, they want to own the commodities that are, are going to be a hedge in their portfolio against inflation. And there's some fundamental stories to it as well. We first of all had really did a significant chart damage to wheat. And so the chart sellers, which many of the algo traders are simply sell on chart signals, they just kept driving that place that price down and end users said why should we buy when the prices keep coming to us but and nobody wanted to catch those prices well they finally stalled out and so they jumped in to buy and a lot of people were ready to buy that break then that started things this week we also have the rains in south america that have been pressuring corn and soybean prices those rains are good but they don't solve the entire problem uh, February is a key month for Argentina and parts of southern Brazil, but especially Argentina and Uruguay. And um, February in both the analog years as well as some of the long-range models looks quite dry. And so the trade saying maybe we went too far being bearish because of this week's rains. But finally, what's happening in uh, the Black Sea region? The Black Sea is a major export source for corn and wheat. Russia and Ukraine are big exporters of wheat. Ukraine's a big exporter of corn. If conflict breaks out there that shuts down that trade, that really tightens up the world supply on the export market. And right now, European and, and American authorities are making comments over the last day or two that make it sound like war between Ukraine and Russia is imminent. And so that's all causing the money flow to come back into these commodities after having a, a previous sell-off. Arlen, you mentioned the Treasury yield spiraling higher. Now, it's been 15 years since a lot of us out here in the general public have had to think about Treasury yields climbing. Can you explain what that means for us day to day? What does what Treasury yields climbing actually imply about the economy? Well, interest rates going higher, and that's a great question, interest rates going higher, suggesting expectations of inflation, and also expectations that the Fed's going to start raising interest rates in order to fight that inflation. Um, and so basically it means the demand for debt securities is going higher. Um, on that expectation of higher returns and stuff. We're still looking at negative returns. When you look at inflation right now in 40-year highs, Treasury yields, while they've gone up, and I'll use 10-year yields for an example because it's what a lot of people follow, it had during the pandemic dropped down briefly to about a half percent. I think that may have been a record low. And right now we've pushed sharply higher here in recent days, traded uh, early this morning above 1.9%. But from a historical standpoint, that's still near 40-year lows. I remember the days when Treasury yields were at 15%. So 
you know, it's all about perspective. And when you look at inflation being so much higher than what those yields are, we're still looking at negative returns. So why have those yields, which typically are used to explain, you know, what inflation expectations are, why have they remained so much below inflation levels? Well, one of the reasons that I contend is because the fiscal and monetary stimulus has been so massive over the past couple of years. We've injected so much money into the economy. A lot of that money, a big portion of that money, has ended up in the banking system. People have put money into savings, etc., cetera, um, that have put it into the banking system. And so what do the banks do with all this surplus money? They put it into treasuries. So we've artificially increased the demand for treasuries, and when the demand for treasuries goes up, yields on those treasuries go down. So we have artificially kept those treasury yields suppressed. But now that the Fed is talking about not only raising rates, but also about um, withdrawing stimulus from the economy, a lot of the big funds are saying, okay, we no longer want to put our money in the treasury market because that supply of cash is going to be starting to dry up. And so they're pulling their money out. That's allowing those yields to go up to better reflect inflation. It's on its way toward doing that. Interesting. Thank you for clarifying that, Arlen, because I've got a feeling we're going to be hearing a lot more about Treasury yields here over the next you know, four to six months. I want to bring us back to talk a little bit about the corn market. Our focus in Brazil for the past several months has been the soybean crop, that first crop of beans. We're getting close, Arlen, to the time that safrina crop is going to start going in the ground. As you look out across the drought in South America, is the corn market going to have to rally to encourage growers to plant corn down in Brazil? Uh, they already have incentive. That's a great question, but they already have incentive to plant corn. When you look at their currency exchange rates and how cheap the BRL is relative to the dollar, they're pricing their corn and soybeans in dollars and then converting it to BRLs, and it gives them a big incentive to plant corn and soybeans. So they are expanding production. The question is whether they'll be able to put fertilizer on it. And initially they indicated, yeah, we've got the fertilizer bot, we're going to. Now they're saying, eh, no, they're going to be cutting back on fertilizer rates because of the high cost. How much is yet to be seen? Now, as we look at the safrina crop, we know that last year they had a very short crop because of drought. It got planted late, um, and it turned off dry, and the rainy season ended early, and as a late-planted crop, and so they had significant yield reductions. As we look at this year, it looks like we're going to get the harvest done in good time. That means the safrina corn crop gets planted in a timely manner if the weather pattern continues to hold as currently forecast and if it verifies. So it'll get in in good time. The question is, what are the rains going to do in March and April? There's some indication that we could see an early end to the rainy season again this year. We don't anticipate the same negative impact on yield that we saw last year because the crop will be planted earlier than last year, but it could pare back yield somewhat, and that also is additive on top of the fact that reduced fertilizer rates also could pare back yield somewhat. So in a year when global corn stocks are basically the tightest of the last 20 years, 
once you look at the world minus China and minus the United States to see how the rest of the world is. It's something we have to pay attention to, and I think something the market will maintain some level of risk premium in until we have a better handle on it. All right. And we'll be watching the calendar in that March-April time frame. That's when those rains will be determining that safrina crop. Arlen, soybeans had a big export sale today to Mexico. Are exports coming around a little better? Well, Mexico is a fantastic customer for us. And um, whether it be corn, soybeans, wheat, pork, they're a big importer of all of those products and commodities. Um, and so that's a positive. Are they enough? No. China is a big part of that. I think over the next five to ten years, we're going to see a shift in soybean consumption uh, or demand away from the export market, less dependence on Chinese soybean imports from the United States, and more toward the, uh, renewable diesel and sustainable aviation fuels consuming our soybean oil and our soybeans. Uh, and I think that will make us less dependent on China. But I think Mexico is still going to be a vital component of that. And I think a lot of times we put so much focus on China that we overlook just how important of a customer Mexico is. In particular, we're seeing consumption of pork go up about 5% per year in Mexico, and it takes soybean, soybean meal in order to produce that pork. So they continue to increasingly consume more and more soybean meal, therefore crush more soybeans on, a, on an annual basis, and need more and more corn. There's still some questions about uh, whether their government's going to allow the import of GMO corn in years ahead. We're hearing conflicting messages from people within the government on that. They cannot afford to cut us off, but their president seems like he wants to cut us off. The question is how this is all going to play out. Right now the trade is assuming that cooler heads will prevail and they'll continue to import our corn for feed needs. All right. Uh, Arlen, real quick, looking up at the Canadian border, we've got a situation that requiring vaccines for their truckers. Is that something that's going to have an impact on the cash markets in the northern states, or is this going to be something we should watch for agricultural commodity shipments? Well, it's one more thing to add to the supply chain disruptions and to add to the shortage of truckers right now. Well, we're looking at a, a global shortage of something like 60,000 truckers right now, depending on what source that you quote on it. Um, so it's just one more thing creating disruptions in the current environment. And those disruptions aren't likely to go away anytime soon. Arlen Suderman of Stonex, always appreciate your insight. Over this next week, Arlen, any markets you think poised to move quickly one way or the other? I, th I think we're in a very volatile time right now. And as we see uh, the quickness in the, in the ags, I think it's across the board in the ag, in the grain and oil seats. Always great insight from Arlen Suderman. Arlen, thanks for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you. And folks, stick around. Ashley Arrington from Agra Authority will join me in segment four to talk about what you need to plan for as you go in to meet your lender. Stay with us on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, 
I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve, together we can make a difference, bite by bite. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover guitar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. I choose the Roundup Ready Extend crop system because I know they've got my back. Their spray early weed control guarantee helps me get the most out of early season applications. If I experience less than commercially acceptable performance, I'm eligible for up to $18 per acre on additional applications. That's a system I can depend on. The Roundup Ready Extend crop system. See program details at sprayearlyguarantee.com. Guarantee is subject to program restrictions. Always follow pesticide label directions. They say if you listen hard enough, you can hear the corn grow. It's true. When you're out in the field, you understand its challenges and what it needs to thrive. Channel Seedsmen bring insights from the field to our team of Bayer plant breeders. Their knowledge inspires our product development. From your best ground to your most challenging conditions, our products are designed to perform in your fields. Visit ChannelListens.com to see our latest innovations. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Young farmers don't listen to the radio, right? Wrong. In a recent survey, 74% of young producers said they get their most important agricultural information from their trusted farm radio station. Surprised? Don't be. If you think about it, it makes perfect sense. Radio is the perfect companion because it goes with you everywhere. Whether you're in the shop, on the combine, or in the truck, farm radio is right there with you. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. For more than 135 years, the editors of Progressive Farmer have provided generations of farmers and ranchers with the information they need and trust to make informed and profitable decisions. We know you need that content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we created our weekly podcast called Field Posts. Join me, Sarah Mock, each week as I interview agriculture's top thought leaders, as well as farming's most diverse team of editors at Progressive Farmer and DTN on a wide range of subject matter. 
From farm policy and crop production to finances, technology, and so much more, you'll have a front row seat to learn and engage in what's happening in agriculture today. You can find the podcast listed on all your favorite podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or by visiting our website at dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Hey, wouldn't it be great if life came with a remote control? You know, you could hit pause when you needed to or hit rewind. Like that time you knocked down that wasp's nest. Uh-oh. Well, life doesn't always give you time to change the outcome. But pre-diabetes does. With early diagnosis and a few healthy changes, you can stop pre-diabetes before it leads to type 2 diabetes. To learn your risk, take the one-minute test today at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, folks. Thanks for tuning in to AOA Today. You know, as January, February, and March get underway for a lot of our listeners, this is meeting season, and it's underway. In-person meetings are happening across the Corn Belt, well, across the country right now. And uh, one of the folks who appears at a lot of them is Ashley Arrington, the founder of Agri-Authority. Ashley, thanks for taking the time to talk to us today. Oh, yeah. Glad to be here. As meeting season gets underway, Ashley, tell us, what are you talking to growers about? Really, some hot-button issues that have come up, of course, is inflation. I mean, that's kind of the thing you hear a lot um, on the news, people talking about how to treat inputs associated with inflation, rising input costs, but also um, inflation going all the way down to land prices, um, interest rates, all those type things tying together to really see in um, a perfect storm of concerns related to increasing prices across the board right now, whether it's commodity prices, land prices, or input prices. Yeah, it has made it very difficult to plan. And Ashley, tell us a little bit about what it is you do when you're not talking to farm meetings. You're working with growers and connecting them better with their lenders. Would that be a, a, an effective way to describe your role? Oh, absolutely. So working with farmers to really help them understand their financial situation, to see where they fit best, looking at their balance sheet to see what they can do to help them succeed. You know, we came, we just come off a time of a downturn, right? Uh, 2020 and 2021 have been a return to profitability for most farmers. So we figured out, I sat down for years trying to figure out how to make it work, how to fill in a hole. Uh, and now we're figuring out how to manage these profits. Then you kind of think about, I want to have money. What do I have to plan for? I have money. But if you don't plan for your profits, if you don't plan for your profits properly, ooh, that's a mouthful of too many peas right there, then you can't succeed in the future. So that's really what we're looking at now, um, working with customers to see how to properly allocate their profits to set them up for the future. So if another downturn hits, we're ready for it. You know, and that's a really key point. I think right now I just saw a report, loan volumes, operating loan volumes, I should say, in the fourth quarter of 2021, Ashley, were down fairly significantly from the year before. So growers are having profits. They're using it to deleverage a little bit with their lender. What other trends do you see might be taking place this year, especially as folks are, are talking to their lenders? Are there things that have changed in reporting or requirements? 
Yes. I would say taking a look at one one thing, just to use the little phrase again, hot button thing that's going on with bankers right now is a lot of them were, okay, we helped you through the downturn. I helped you fill in these holes. Now I really need to see what you're doing with your profits. So when you go to sit down with your banker, um, be prepared to answer those type questions. You know, are you planning on rebuilding that working capital like you just mentioned to delever? You don't have to borrow as much on your operating line. Are you planning on paying down some debt? Maybe you racked up some debt during the downturn to amortize out some losses. Are you planning on paying that down? Um, being able to account for your profits um, is really a conversation that is going on with your with everybody's banker right now. Um, and to don't be offended when you get that question, you know, how are you going to send your money? Um, that's a question that's going to come up. Absolutely. It is, Ashley. Do you have any advice for growers who are thinking through that question right now? How am I going to spend some of this money? I had a lot of deferred grain sales. They've all come due. I've gotten my checks. What's my first step as a grower in assessing how I should be managing the the funds this year? Well, I would say your first defense against you know, price volatility in terms of commodities is working capital. So rebuilding working capital, take a look at your prior year balance sheet and then take a look at the balance sheet that you're making today. See what the key differences are. There's no set number for how much working capital you need, but cash is king. We know that when working capital starts to get depleted, um, that's when things start to go south. But then also taking a look at your profits, divvying them up, has percentages, and those percentages may look different by farm, but a certain percentage being allocated to rebuilding working capital, a certain percentage to go to pay down those debts that we accrued um, during the downtimes, and then maybe a certain small percentage for something that you've been putting off, something that you want to do personally. I mean, we've been through these bad times, um, so now that you can actually do something that you want to do to not reward yourself just a little bit, um, I feel like gets people in a bad mood. So to set yourself up for future successes, I feel like you need to enjoy your success just a little bit. I, I think you're right about that. It, it pays to have something nice, a, a way to show that, you know, you worked hard, you, you got something to show for it after a challenging year. Ashley, looking out to this year ahead, that inflation concern, the interest rate risk that's out there, are there anything growers should be doing to manage that? Should we be locking in some longer term rates right now? What's your take on that situation? Absolutely. I would say to take a look at that right now, um, it, even if you have just something that's coming up for renewal in three years, you know, a lot of community banks out there, the most they can do is maybe like a seven-year balloon, a five-year balloon, or like a 20 to 30-year and If you have a balloon note that's not coming due this year, but it's coming up in the next couple years, it may be worth going ahead and taking a look at that to get it on a long-term fixed or on a longer term than just two or three years at the most you can get a seven, get those seven, whatever it is. Um, just take a look at doing something um, beyond a year or two. Um, rates have started to creep upward in terms of the long-term fix that we see in the market, even though ground has, hasn't moved as much. We are seeing an uptick in long-term rates as ready. So I would say time is of the essence. Um, go ahead and take a look. You're about to look at your financials anyway to renew operating lines to plan for the upcoming year. Go ahead and take a look at your full debt picture. See what your rates are, how much time's left on your loans, how you can consolidate, save money on interest as well as the motivation. Ashley, you talk to a lot of lenders. Are there any things you've heard from them that they just wish farmers would stop doing? Are there things we need to just knock it off when we're going in to meet with our banker or our, our lender? I don't think there's things to knock off more so is there are more things to do um, to you show up being a bit more prepared. You know, it's showing up and not having, you know, good financials. Um, it, it just breeds more questions and it's not, you know, trying to, you know, uh, do too much or 
feel like you need to put your banker on a pedestal and treat them a different way. Um, but the level of financials that they want um, is the same level that you probably need to have to manage your farm um, in a better way anyway. But then also um, just taking a look at uh, less questions is really what you're doing. Because if you walk in and you have a financial package that's you know, very incomplete, you don't have the right amount of data, and then someone walks in a week later and they have a fully complete package, the person that came yeah. in a week later is going to get their stuff done a lot faster because there's not going to be as many questions. So they certainly will. Ashley Arrington from Agra Authority. Thanks for taking the time to talk to us and tune in tomorrow, folks, to AOA. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world.